When was the last time someone really hurt you or really made you angry? When was the last time you were treated super unfairly, wrongly judged, harshly spoken to, or maybe even worse, talked about behind your back? Or as a mama bear, one of your kids was treated this way? It happens all the time around us. It's been weighing very heavy on my mind and heart for a long time as I've heard lots of moms who I love talk about their kids being bullied. I've asked myself what I can do to help, especially in a leadership position in my church where I'm leading teenage girls in our congregation, and what can I do to influence that for good? I've been praying and praying and studying and pondering on this for literally months and probably even a couple of years now. And I feel like after a very deep study of this recent sermon given by Russell M. Nelson called Peacemakers Needed, I finally have a clear-cut formula and a pact that I'm taking to go all in on a couple of promises to myself to do the things that are taught by Jesus to really become a peacemaker. And I would love it if you'd join me too. Are you in? Let's do this. We have talked before about how sometimes God sends messages to me in threes, right? And I don't know if you believe in that, Neil, but I feel like the threes is always a sign to me. I think so. It's in the scriptures all the time. Oh, well, there you go. In the last just couple of days, I have had three different conversations with people I love, people in my family or my community about different variations of the same topic, which is someone's been hurt, someone's been mistreated. And I've poured a lot of thought and heart and mind and effort and time and praying into these conversations. And how can I contribute to this? How can I, especially the conversations about our community, our church community, because I've been asked to be a leader of the teenage girls in this community, and I just know that sometimes they're not always kind and inclusive, and so it has weighed on my heart for a really long time, for a very, very long time. After having several of these conversations, three in particular in the last like 24, 48 hours, with one friend, a dear friend of mine. I was listening to her. I was thinking about it, trying to be prayerful, trying to just pray as I listened. And the thought came to me to pull up this talk. Well, here's actually, here's how it came to me is I thought, okay, Jesus always has the answer. What would Jesus do? I literally started to just pray and ask God, like, what would Jesus do? And I thought, I bet if I dig into my scriptures, then I can find some evidence, something where someone was excluded or hurt or left out and and what Jesus did to remedy this. And then I thought, oh my gosh, we just received the greatest sermon from the president of our church, Russell M. Nelson, in our most recent general conference. And I know that not everyone that listens to this podcast is a member of our same church. However, this sermon on being a peacemaker is so good and so applicable to everyone. I mean, find me one person on the face of the earth who does not have a conflict with anyone else ever at any time. Like it's pretty hard to find. So pretty much everyone could benefit from this. So what I want to do is after studying this deeply today, I studied it this afternoon. I studied it again tonight. I kind of 
created a Cliff Notes version of this, and I want to just go deeper on some of the things that he suggested and create a peacemaker pact. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I want to be a peacemaker, I want to just present to you his suggestions and Jesus's suggestions and this formula for actually becoming a peacemaker. And I have to say before this, every time I've thought about the term peacemaker, I've always thought, yeah, that's so not my gift. (laughs) Neil is a peacemaker. Why would you say you're not a peacemaker? Well, okay. Because I have a really intense personality. Like when we interviewed Taylor Hartman, who created the color code, he talked about his favorite combination of colors. And when I told him I was a blue red, he was like, oh, you are my favorite. Those are my favorite because you're so intense. You're like fireball. <laughs> and I am. I'm, I have a lot of feelings. I'm like that girl on on Mean Girls where she's like, I just have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings and they're either very intensely emotional and relational or it's like the red fiery, like, no, I want things my way. So the combination of those two is like fire and ice all together in one explosive ball of personality. Would you agree? I think I would have to agree. Unfortunately for you. Yes. (laughs) And Neil is a very, an excellent example of a white peacemaker. White personality peacemaker, very Christ-like. So anyway, when I've heard people talk about being a peacemaker in the past, I'm always like, yeah, that's just, that's not me. Like, I'll try to be like Jesus, but definitely that's not my gift. That's not my natural gift. But upon further delving into this topic, I'm like, no, Jesus really did give us a perfect formula on how to become a peacemaker. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. President Nelson starts out his talk with a story about being a surgical intern and how this surgeon just freaked out and threw a scalpel and it landed in Russell M. Nelson's arm and how it was like this bloody scalpel that he said it was loaded with germs and he was just horrified. Everyone else there was horrified and he promised himself he would never lose control of his emotions in his OR. Have you seen something like this, by the way, in an OR? You used to oh, work yeah. in the OR? Absolutely. Yeah. I've been on the receiving end of some some unfriendly blow-ups. Not, for the most part, pretty, it's only happened a couple of times, but I've heard stories of people being having instruments thrown at them. Or in their direction. But okay, but let's talk about... Not a scalpel, actually, or okay. a 10-blade you know, jabbing <laughs> into your arm or something. But but no, it's it's uh, certain surgeons are kind of notorious. I want to talk about, though, why some people would look at that situation and say, oh, that surgeon was totally justified, right? Like, you've got the life of someone That's why, on yeah. the table, and so they feel totally justified freaking out if something's wrong, right? Because yeah. they're like... You can't mess up. This person's life is on the line. Yeah. And they're, they don't have, they're out. They're under anesthesia. So they don't have any ability to like make choices or say any, they don't have a voice. Okay. So, totally. Right. You could look at that situation and say the surgeon is completely justified freaking out at whoever made the error in the room. However, Russell M. Nelson is saying, I made a promise that I would never behave that way. And even though maybe some would say that he's justified in different times, like he was a heart surgeon. So he wasn't just like giving somebody a Band-Aid. He, he literally was touching human hearts. And yet he said there was never an excuse for that. I was never going to do that and promised I would never do that. 
I know now that even at like almost 100 years old, he still takes that super seriously, that commitment to never be contentious. And I heard his wife talk about that a few years ago when she gave a talk where someone said, what is it like being married to the prophet of the church? And she said, he avoids contention at all costs. If there's something that even sniffs of contention, he just, he won't even engage at all. I really respect that. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that, right? So even in a time where you feel super justified, that someone who is committed to being a peacemaker will not engage. But having said that, I, I myself hear something like that and I'm like, okay, but how? How? Like when you're really angry or when something really feels justified or you're hurt or you're upset or you have something you need to vent or, or whatever. So that's what we're going to go through is this perfect formula for becoming a peacemaker. First, President Nelson goes through the things that do not work. Anger, hostility, contention, belittling, outbursts, silent treatment. None of those things are effective in getting your message across. And it's true. Like, when was the last time you saw somebody yelling at another person and it actually turned out well? Let's say it turns out well. You might get a quick result. That's true. You might get compliance in the moment. You might get a, but as far as like a lasting, really positive best case scenario. Change of heart. Change of heart or somebody really aligning with something or two people coming together. I don't think you do. It's very, yeah. And basically he says that's never the answer. But this is what I think is so interesting is he says, a disciple of Christ, you can pick someone out of a crowd. Do you know what he says about how to pick someone out as a true disciple of Christ? You know what? I don't know. He says, how compassionately someone treats another is the mark of a true disciple of Christ. So if you think about, this is where I really want to focus too on what that really means. Because yeah, you can hear that and be like, well, duh, yeah, how... How nice are you to people, right? That's kind of how that computes at first. But let's go deeper. Like, let's go one level deeper. How compassionate are you towards someone who hurts you? How compassionate are you towards someone who makes you angry and you feel justified? How compassionate are you toward someone who mistreats someone that you love? And let's let's talk about what that looks like to be compassionate toward even someone who does something really hurtful to you or someone you love. Okay. So let's take actually right after Jesus is betrayed, right? And then Peter's so angry that he cuts off the ear of a servant and Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not how we do this. He immediately tells Peter, like, we're not going to, we're not going to pull our swords out and start cutting people's limbs off or ears off or whatever. And even Jesus on the cross, he's like, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's thinking about these people don't even realize. They have no idea. And I think on a more relatable level, okay, you somebody cuts you off. Immediately, what's your first reaction, Neil? In your natural not man state, not, not your peacemaker state, but your yeah, natural man no, state. It, it is, yeah. It's hard not to be angry. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, what a jerk. The opposite of that, treating others with compassion, even people who hurt you or cut you off in traffic, is, oh, I wonder 
why that person just did that to me. Compassion. It looks like that. It looks like, are they late for something? Is there an emergency? Are they having a terrible day? I, a lot of times too, think about people, hurt people hurt people, right? That, that saying means a lot when you look at why would somebody hurt another person? Why would someone be mean? Why would someone act in out of the character that you know people, that they want other people to think that they have? Like most people don't wake up and set out to be a bad person. I mean, <laughs> most people don't. They don't wake up and go, how can I be the most rotten, awful person to the rest of the world today? Most people are just thinking about themselves in their own terms. And so they're dealing with all of the gross turmoil inside because most people aren't digging that out and pulling it out and setting it on a table and examining it and then going like, yeah, let's deal with all of my skeletons and and deep-rooted emotions that are negative. Most people just stuff that all inside and they go about their day and then it all comes out sideways, right? It comes out in cutting someone off or excluding someone else because they have deep-rooted like issues from the past or something that trickled down from a generational messed up thing that they learned in their family or, you know, there's just so many things that people are dealing with internally. And that's usually the reason why they're, they treat other people in a not awesome way. I remember seeing this story recently, my friend Ashley Reeves, she was like filming something in her husband's, he's a principal at a school in Utah, a high school. So she was filming stories of her kids being in his office. And somebody said, one of her kids said to him something like, dad, why are there so many bad kids? And he was like, there are no bad kids. There's just kids who make bad choices. And I was like, dang, that's good. That's profound. And it's true. There are no bad people out there that you might disagree with me, but everyone was born with the light of Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that because that's what he teaches us. Everyone's born with the light of Christ. And then things happen to people and most people are doing the best they can. Even the worst hardened criminals out there are just doing what they think they need to do to survive in this world. And Satan is the author of all of the yucky stuff, all of the bad, contentious, mean, jealous, angry, all of the bad things that we do to each other. Satan is just the puppet master, getting people to do that with his persuasion of like, yeah, they deserve that. Like you were wronged. You should be mad. And it's just like this perpetual ongoing cycle of people hurting other people because they're hurt. Is this making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to disciple of Christ. How do we identify a true follower, a true disciple of Christ? How compassionately they treat another person. So I want you to think about anyone that you're really hurting over right now, somebody that has either hurt you or hurt someone that you loved. And how can you reverse engineer that and think in the most compassionate way about maybe why they're doing that? Jesus also said, you'll know they're my people if they're loving one another, right? That's what he instructed. He said, you will know that that person is my person if they're loving other people. So I want you to think for just a minute what it feels like to be just truly loved. 
Who can you think of, Neil, immediately? First person that comes to your mind that just really consistently throughout your life has made you feel loved, like every interaction or almost interactions. Hmm. It's a tough one. I mean, probably my brother comes to my mind. Yeah. My brother Dave. I mean, I think of just all the interactions that we had to just really, yeah, positive, developing, good type of interactions. And usually, too, for whoever's listening to this, it's going to be someone in your life who, I mean, I guess for a brother, that's an even more, that's a pretty close relative. But I would say probably someone who has made you feel just genuinely, perfectly loved with almost every interaction is like, let's give compassion to your immediate family members. A lot of us, it's not going to be our immediate family members because we see the good, bad, and the ugly. Where you might think of someone where it's like, yeah, every interaction I had with that person I have felt just deeply, genuinely loved is probably someone who they really do love you, but you haven't had to have those like high and low, up and down, compassion for their weaknesses kind of relationship with, right? So like for me, I think I I thought about my Uncle Brett where I can only think of one time where he yelled at me. It was because I... It's because I, I spilled a milkshake is. in his brand new car. That's funny. He's a car guy. you did that like not too long ago in one of our brand new cars as well. That was funny. Yeah, whoops. Anyway, but other than that one time that he got mad at me for the milkshake, which I totally forgive him, he always makes me feel so loved. And that's his personality, right? He just has this very dynamic, loving personality, but that doesn't always have, you don't have to be a dynamic person to make people feel loved. But I feel like most of us can identify certain people in our lives on different parts of our path where, wow, that person, that mentor, that teacher, that leader, just pretty much every interaction I had with them, they made me feel so loved. That's what we're aiming for. That is the type of interaction. You know what that feels like on the receiving end. So to think about how you can reverse that and give that to others is not just like a, yep, I'm nice to everyone. I smile. Like I put on my cordial face. You know what I mean? It's an actual, I love this person. And sometimes that means putting their needs or the compassion for whatever they're going through above what you're going through. I also think it's so interesting that President Nelson says in this talk, make no mistake about it, contention is evil. And to go back to the scalpel, I think that we do such a good job justifying in our minds like, well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and it was so unfair, right? We have all done it. I've done it. I've heard you do it. Yeah. I've heard I've done it pretty sure. much everyone who I know on any kind of a deep level, I've heard them do it. Because it's human nature, right, to justify to yourself that wound and that anger and why you deserve to be hurt or angry or upset or whatever. And yet every time we do that, and I'm like the worst offender of this, okay, I'm like talking to somebody who's got like 75, 80%. What do you call that when you have like a good record of making the baskets or making whatever? Like an average or... Yeah, or like a batting shooting, average. Neil's got, average. Neil's got like a 75% accuracy in this and I've got like a 25%. So like, let's just be humble and real about this, that I am not coming from a place of like, I've nailed this. But in digging into Jesus's teachings with this and 
the president of our church, who again gave this incredible sermon, Peacemakers Needed, he said, make no mistake about it, contention is evil and Satan loves contention. And he also said that every time we're acting with contention, we're taking a page out of Satan's playbook. So gosh, you think about that and every time you're just like, yeah, this happened and this happened and then I was so upset and you won't believe this and then this, you are literally allowing Satan to be the puppeteer. He's like, yep, I got them. They're doing the dance. And he loves it. He loves it because you are now under his control, not the spirit's control. And it's one or the other. You don't get to like, you don't get to dance in both fields. You're either taking a page out of Satan's playbook or Jesus's. It's kind of one or the other. Or God, if that's your higher power. And Russell M. Nelson also says, no man can serve two masters, which kind of also is a it's a scriptural thing that we learn from Jesus. You can't serve both. You can't serve God and Satan at the same time. So I think it's really important to realize, okay, there's really never a justified reason to be sitting and stewing in anger and contention. Even if you're not showing up and being contentious to that person in their face, while you're letting that rage in your heart, you are being manipulated by Satan and not moved upon by the Spirit. It's one or the other. Let's talk about how we can do better, right? And this is this is the peacemaker pact that I really want us to go for. And I'm I'm all in on this. And it's gonna take a lot more effort for me than it will Neil, but I'm still all in. So he says that this is what we have to do if we want to overcome this. He says, if there's anything virtuous, lovely, of good report or praiseworthy, then those are the things we need to say when we're talking about other people, whether it's in front of them or behind their back. Okay, so think about that. When you're talking about especially the people who have hurt you, to go to compassion instead of anger and to go to the most generous thought you possibly can about them instead of the natural man, which is Satan, trying to push you back to those feelings of anger, hurt, whatever. And there's such a good example of this. Do you remember the example, Neil, in Christlike Parenting where Glenn Latham talks about if you have just a teenager who's making just rotten, awful choices in their life and you can't find anything good to say about them because you can't even see past all of the bad things that they're doing. Do you remember what he says to compliment them on? I can't remember. It's, it's hilarious. Oh. He says that you look at them and you say, good job breathing. And sometimes that's just what you got to bring it back to. Just sometimes. Basic. Good job breathing. But seriously, you can always find something even about the worst people in your mind. You can always find some redeeming quality. And so this is the pact. This is the promise. This is the like, yes, I am all in. I want to be a peacemaker. I want peace in my community. I want peace in my family. I want peace in my home. You got to have absolute grit determination to not let anything bad about another person escape your mouth. You just got to stop talking bad about other people. Even when you feel like, okay, but it's just me and my husband and he's my safe person. Because when you do that, you are fueling the fire inside of you that's keeping you trapped and stuck and you are playing out of Satan's playbook. 
I love the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that's one of the important principles that they talk about is to never speak ill of others or gossip. So that one's really, it's, it's so woven into our society and it's woven into our friendships as like a way of, as a weird way, like a negative way of connecting with people or, or but it's false connection. It, 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 yeah, it is. Yeah. You're using it to establish like a, oddly enough, like a weird, I don't even know if trust is the right word, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a counterfeit way of doing it. But I think that it's very common and it's, it's almost just, it's just kind of what happens. Brene Brown talks about that, about the false connection of gossip and how it cheapens that connection with someone because you instantly are like, oh yeah, like we have something in common, like let's talk about it. But think about the ground that you're building that friendship upon is, well, this person's talking to me about their grievance about somebody else. How long is it going to take? How many of those conversations is it going to take before you start questioning? Hmm, I wonder what they're saying about me behind my back. And I've done it before. We've all done it. That is one thing that I've been pretty dedicated to is not talking bad about other people to any of my friends. If I have a grievance with somebody, I don't talk about it with somebody else. Like I, I have tried to be really good about that. And I have very seldom broken that rule. And I feel like my good friends would back me up on that, that at least in recent years, the last five to 10 years, I've been pretty dedicated to that. And I feel like my friendships are rooted in a lot of genuine trust. And I feel like my friends know that I have their back because they don't hear me talking bad about other people. And I really value that. That's important to me. But I don't want to say that I'm perfect at this because I still use that free card of like, well, Neil's my safe person, so I'm going to vent to him about this. I'm not saying there's never a time for that to kind of just have a safe person give you some clarity. But I think when you just like nurse that wound, right, you're breaking it open again and you're nursing it and you're obsessing over it and you're telling the story for the 15th time or whatever. Is that leading to anything constructive? Probably not. And it's actually probably destructive to your personal peace and happiness and joy in life. Here's another way we can look at how to do this. Okay. When we humble ourselves, this is from President Nelson. When we humble ourselves and pray with all the energy of heart, God will give us charity. So you got to like really, really want to get on your knees and say, Heavenly Father, I really want this bad. Like I really want to be a peacemaker and I really want to have charity toward others, even people who despitefully use me or like Jesus taught us about that, where he taught to turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do good to them who hate you and pray for them who despitefully use you. That can sound like, oh, well, yeah, he was Jesus. He was the savior of the world. Like, of course, he was perfect. So, of course, he did those things. But when we hold ourselves back from doing those things, we shortchange ourselves for the joy and peace and depth of life that we could have if we were more dedicated to being peacemakers. That's just the honest truth. Again, President Nelson's another piece of advice that he has in this formula of how to become a peacemaker is just ask God and like really, really want it though. When you get on your knees, you got to really want it when you ask for it. And I have seen that miracle in my life so many times when I have wanted a spiritual gift. I don't know that it says this anywhere in the scriptures or in doctrine. Correct me if I'm wrong, Neil. 
I really believe that if you want a spiritual gift and you ask God really intently for it, that he will work with you and he'll help you develop it. But I don't know. Is there any backup to that? Or is no, that just scriptures in my that head? talk about that, yeah. that? That if there are things that there are righteous desires that you have, that asking God and seeking that, if it be a good thing, something that's going to bless your life and bless others, that God is, is willing to work with you on that, especially a spiritual gift. So he kind of, he talks a lot about charity, about how charity is rooted in all these things that define a peacemaker. And these are some really interesting things that he say characterize a person who really has charity. He says that they're long suffering. So think about that. Someone's being mean. Someone continues to be mean. Someone still just isn't getting it. A lot of this, I think, is how much are we looking outward and being like, well, they need to be charitable, right? So the opposite of that would be long suffering where you're like, I am going to be long suffering toward all of the human beings around me who are being human. They're not perfect, just like I'm not perfect. So I'm going to give them a lot. I'm going to cut them a lot of slack, give them a lot of grace and be long suffering. So that's the first one. Kind. They do not envy others. So not looking at someone else and being like, gosh, I wish I, like, I wish that was my life or I wish that was the case or that must be easy or whatever. And then they're not caught up in their own importance. They're not easily provoked and do not think evil of others. That goes back to the whole like, are we thinking the most generous possible thoughts we can about others and then speaking those thoughts? But you got to reel it back in and start with your thoughts. Like if you're just thinking, 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 and then you're disciplining yourself to not say those things out loud, but that's what you're thinking in your mind. That's what you're going to feel in your heart too. It all starts with the thoughts and the intent of your heart. But I do want to talk about the not caught up in their own importance. I thought about and he talks about pride in here too. I thought about my favorite talk, Beware of Pride, and about, okay, so this definition is so important. And this is a talk from 1989, Ezra Taft Benson. And to me, this is just mind-blowing the way that he explains what pride is. And he says, most of us think of pride as self-centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness. All of these are elements of the sin, but the heart or the core is still missing. The central feature of pride is enmity, enmity toward God and enmity toward our fellow men. Enmity means hatred toward, hostility to, or a state of opposition. It is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Every time I hear that part of this talk, and I try to review it and listen to it often because I feel like I need it so bad. Every time I read that part, it is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. It's so powerful to me. Like, wow, yeah, I don't want Satan to be in charge of me. No, thank you. I just feel like I do everything I can to try to be instead under the influence of the Holy Ghost. But it's one or the other. You can't be, can't be influenced by both at the same time simultaneously. Here's the other part of this talk that I think is super important. He says, pride is a sin that can readily be seen in others but is rarely admitted in ourselves. Most of us consider pride to be sin of those on top, such as the rich and the learned looking down on the rest of us. There is, however, a far more common ailment among us, and that is pride from the bottom looking up. It is manifest in so many ways, such as fault-finding, gossiping, backbiting, murmuring, living beyond our means, envying, coveting, withholding gratitude and praise that might lift another, 
and being unforgiving and jealous. I mean, I don't think he really left anything out. It was kind of like, those are, those are all such common things. And it's so easy to be like, from the bottom up, looking at another person and being like, well, they have it easier. They are, I just, I've done it so many times. I know Neil has, we've talked at length about how easy it is to do that and how we've really tried to stop each other or ourselves when we realize that we're doing that because it doesn't lead to anything productive. It doesn't help anybody. There's too much goodness, just tons of gold nuggets in this talk. So if you really want to be all in on this, I highly strongly suggest that you go listen to or read this talk because it's just has way more than we can possibly cover in just one podcast episode. But there's a couple more really great suggestions of how you can be all in on this peacemaker pact, right? You're like, yes, I'm all in. I want to be that. He says, the temple can help us in our quest. There we're endowed with God's power, giving us the ability to overcome Satan, the instigator of all contention. So if you're a member of our church, you've gone through the temple before, get back there. Get back there as often as you can. I can tell you, promise you from personal experience that when I go to the temple, I feel God's power. I feel like I have connected with my heavenly father and I'm. it's easier for me to overcome the natural man and do the things that he would want me to do. It's easier for me to stop and say, what would Jesus do and tap into that mindset? The more I'm doing all the things that connect me to God, praying, reading my scriptures, reading like, oh, well, what did Jesus do in his life? Going to the temple. Those are all from God's power. If you're trying to avoid having Satan rule and reign over you, the the power by which Satan wishes to rule us is pride. If you want the opposite, you want the Holy Ghost to be leading you, going to the temple is a great place to do that. Now, if you're not a member of our church, going to a holy place where you can connect with God would be another great place to do that and to meditate and listen and ponder and and think about what does God want me to do? How does he want me to channel peace in my life? And I always like a promise. Russell M. Nelson says, as you demonstrate the charity that true followers of Jesus Christ manifest, the Lord will magnify your efforts beyond your loftiest imagination. I like that a lot. I like that okay, if I try and I'm doing my best, then he's going to magnify that. I like to think also that that magnification is going to have a little bit, hopefully, of a ripple effect on those around me. And I think it does. I think when you're around really people who are really focused on being Christ-like, it's kind of contagious, right? When you just feel their goodness and you're like, oh, I want to be my best self. Not Not in a shameful, intimidated way, but in like a oh, it feels so good to be around this really Christ-like person. I want to be like them, you know? Share with me and anyone else who's listening, how have you been able to channel this in your life? Like, what's been effective for you? I think just the concept of cleaning up my side of the street Mm -hmm. is the best way to put it. I think there's a phrase in recovery. It's like, if you're familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous or have read the big book, it talks about clean up your side of the street, which basically means instead of looking at everybody else, the way that my, my buddy Xander puts it is he's like, I, I pull the finger instead of pointing fingers, pull the thumb. Instead of pointing fingers, pull the thumb, basically like thumb back yourself and look at myself first. And the Savior, that's, that is a principle that the Savior teaches. 
in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about that. He's like, before you you call somebody out, like first cast the beam out of thine own eye, then mm-hmm. thou will see clearly to cast the moat out of thy brother's eye. So that's kind of the principle that I try and live by. And usually when I ask myself that question of when I look at myself first, I typically can identify somewhere in my life or in my thinking or in my actions where I have some, I've done something either similar, thought something th- similar, or done something similar or worse than what I am so upset about with another person. And I think that's a quality that I've, has rubbed off on me from, from other people, really. My brother, Dave, was really good at that. I had yeah, a, another friend, my friend Carter, he would always stand up if somebody was kind of bad-mouthing somebody in a conversation. He would come in and just intrinsically say something positive about that person. He'd be like, yeah, but you know what? I really like that they, they're like this. And, and he would come to their defense. And it wouldn't really be... It, would, it was always in a way that was just very genuine and he would always look for the good in other people. And something that I've tried to kind of take a page out of their books and, and apply because it is a principle that the Savior taught and, it, and all of those things. And really, I'm just kind of towards the end of the Book of Mormon in my reading right now. And after seeing all this horrible destruction, the, the last kind of guys that were writing in the Book of Mormon, these guys, Mormon and Moroni, father, son, they've seen just terrible, terrible destruction. Oddly enough, they write about charity mm-hmm. and having love for other people. And they're like, if you don't have charity, you're nothing. Yeah. And that's like the one thing that is so important. So I've really just thought a lot about that. And having, they talk about it being the pure love of Christ. It's talked about in the Bible and, and in the Book of Mormon as well. So I've thought a lot about that. And before I want to go and call somebody out or say something bad about somebody else, if I inventory myself before doing that, it immediately changes the tone of that's, that's playing the, the music in my head that's so negative about this other person and the justification that I might feel in just tearing someone down. Yes. And this also really goes back to the codependency stuff that I covered in May and that I'm creating a roadmap of or a boot camp. Now you kind of know a little bit of a sneak peek of what's to come. But this is where really codependency comes into where you realize, oh, I can't control other people. Even if I try to. You cannot make other people act the way you want them to act. You can only control yourself. So if we go back to some of the things we talked about in the beginning, that pact of becoming a peacemaker, John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Because really think about what that means. If you want Jesus when he comes again, or when you meet him in heaven, or wherever your next reunion is with him, to say, I know you were my people, you were my person, the measure is going to be how much you loved other people and like really loved them the way that you thought about what it felt like when someone just really loves you. How well are you doing that for other people? Even people who hurt you, despitefully use you, hate you, all of those things. He didn't say, okay, except for people who are crappy to you. (laughs) 
He said everybody. So the pact is that we don't talk bad about other people. We don't think bad about other people too. Catch yourself. Try to catch yourself and realize that that is Satan trying to persuade you to be under his influence and instead choose Jesus. Choose the Savior's influence. This is what President Nelson says. The Savior's message is clear. His true disciples build, lift, encourage, persuade, and inspire no matter how difficult the situation. True disciples of Jesus Christ are peacemakers. So that is my pact, is that I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to ask Heavenly Father for extra help and power to do this. And then I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have Neil hold me to it, to just not speak bad about other people and really try to discipline myself to not think badly about other people too and to give compassion anytime I'm tempted to instead replace that with compassion how can I give the most compassionate generous thoughts toward this person and whatever they're going through and then just like Neil said clean up my side of the street focus on me that's all I can control thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcast and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Music.